Welcome to the very first edition of Breakout Culture, our newly branded podcast now that we've left lockdown behind. We're going to talk about going out rather than staying in. I'm Ed Vasey, the brilliant culture editor of Country and Townhouse magazine. And I'm Charlotte Metcalf. I'm the associate editor at the magazine, and I'd like to think just as brilliant. I was going to say exactly that. (laughs) First of all... We're delighted to give you the non-lockdown lowdown on the museums we know are opening this week. First up, as is only fitting, is the mother of them all, the National Gallery itself on Wednesday with its wonderful Titian exhibition, which about three people will probably be allowed to see because of social distancing rules, as well as another great exhibition from the Dutch master Nicholas Meiss. The two other museums to open on the same day are the Foundling Museum in Bloomsbury. That's a real treasure museum. I love that museum. Lots of uh, Hogarth's knocking about. Uh, with, uh, with an exhibition looking at pregnancy from the from Holbein to the age of social media. And, of course, in Southend, the Focal Point Gallery is opening with exhibitions by Hannah Quinlan and Rosie Hastings. Yes, and on Thursday, we then have the Royal Academy opening with the much-anticipated Picasso's Works on Paper. And also the Mosaic Rooms will open on Cromwell Road with a solo exhibition by Mohammed Omar Khalil. We'll keep you posted again next week on what's opening up. But meantime, there are lots of other places showing art that you can break out of lockdown and go and make a day out of it. The two places we're loving this week are Salisbury Cathedral and Houghton Hall, both with fabulous exhibitions that opened on Saturday. Yes. So the renowned, world famous international sculptor Anish Kapoor is uh, exhibiting at Houghton Hall. And of course, many of our country houses have a wonderful, rich History with sculpture, I'm thinking particularly of Chatsworth, where the Duke of Devonshire has been brilliant at showcasing uh, sculpture. But Anish Kapoor really needs no introduction with his mesmeric uh, sculptures. There's one in Hyde Park, and there was a brilliant Anish Kapoor uh, exhibition, I think, three or four years ago at the Royal Academy. And as Charlotte and indeed all our regular listeners know, I love Houghton Hall. It was uh, the scene of one of my greatest triumphs, sleeping in Robert Walpole's uh, bedroom. And uh, also the location of one of my favourite ever exhibitions, which was the return of all Walpole's paintings from the Hermitage for a limited time. So if you are in Norfolk or you're planning a breakout weekend in Norfolk, please, this will not be a wasted trip. The other trip we urge you to make is to Salisbury Cathedral, where they've just opened a phenomenal exhibition to celebrate the cathedral's 800th birthday. It's called Spirit and Endeavour, and it includes sculpture and installations by a terrific range of artists, from Henry Moore and Grayson Perry to Elizabeth Frink and Craigie Aitchison. To tell us all about it is the artistic curator at the cathedral, Jacqueline Cresswell. Hello, Jackie. Hello, Charlotte, and thank you for inviting me to talk to you today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Now, this is a really good breakthrough story, well, breakout story, I should say, because I gather you were putting the finishing touches to the exhibition when lockdown happened and it all had to be put away again. Oh, Charlotte, you cannot believe. So this is a very special year for Salisbury Cathedral because it is our 800th um, anniversary year. So 800 years ago, uh, the first foundation stone was laid to build our wonderful cathedral and our city. And um, so this exhibition has taken three years in the planning and it is 
Um, it has been a phenomenal journey. Uh, so the artists were chosen uh, specifically because their works of art could help us explore the idea of spirit and endeavour. Sort of 800 years ago, if you can think of uh, uh, that far back, stonemasons, glaziers, woodcarvers, they all came to Salisbury and their faith and their enterprise, their vision and their creativity built an iconic cathedral and the city of Salisbury. And so the works of art that are shown, and you did mention just a few of them, um, are sort of, it recognises these ordinary people who came together in the spirit of faith to achieve something extraordinary. And that's what the exhibition is about. And so uh, we, on the 5th of March, we started our installation um, and we installed 20 works of art. Some of them are monumental. We have a monumental Henry Moore. We have a monumental um, Conrad Shawcross, uh, Lynn Chadwick. Uh, These are just pieces that are outside. And then inside the cathedral, we also have works of art. And of course, those haven't been seen because... Um, our exhibition was supposed to open on the 25th of March. And on the 23rd of March, we had to close our doors. But the good news, the good news, Charlotte, the best news ever is this morning I was at the cathedral talking to the clerk of works because this week we will open our doors and welcome people to come and view the exhibition. Fantastic. I love um, Charlotte's opening remarks where she implied that you could just sort of put the sculptures away in a cupboard. I mean, I imagine... (laughs) I imagine the, the Henry Moore probably weighs about three tonnes, doesn't it? It's a really, it's a nine metre long Henry Moore. So you can, you can use your imagination as to the weight and, and complications of installing something like that. So um, some, some of the sculptures are outside. So they've been on display throughout lockdown, presumably, when people... Correct. Yes. Yes, they have. They have. Where, where, um, where do they all come from? Uh, all, all different places, all o- all over the world and all over the country. So yes, they come from everywhere. And that's why it's taken so long for us to collect these works of art together. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, it's a bit like a potted history of, of modern British sculpture. It's absolutely extraordinary exhibition, all in one place. It's fabulous. Well, well, Charlotte, it's actually not only just sculpture. We've got paintings, we've got light installations, we've got a film, um, a video film by Mark Wallinger um, and another video film by um, an artist called Yuki Hirakawa. Um, as you say, we have a, a, an extraordinary large uh, Craigie Aitchison crucifixion, which is magnificent in one of um, in one of the chapels, uh, quite high up on um, the Triforium level, is a magnificent new sculpture by Anthony Gormley called Grip Net. So it was a real endeavour. I mean, I love uh, cathedrals having modern art. I mean, St Paul's is famous for having uh, contemporary sculpture. Yes. permanent space. Does Salisbury have sort of permanent uh, contemporary art installations? We do. In fact, um, as I say, I've been with Salisbury now for 11 years and I enjoyed uh, uh, bringing uh, the, well, the negotiations in the return of crucifixion by Barbara Hepworth, a construction crucifixion. So that is a permanent piece. We have... When, when you say return, where, where had it gone? Well, uh, it had been on loan to to various other cathedrals. It went to Portsmouth nice. Cathedral and Winchester Cathedral and was returned to us um, two years ago. We also have the most beautiful Walking Madonna by Elizabeth Frink, uh, which um, is in our close. We have Angel's Harmony by Helene Blumenfeld, also part of our permanent collection, um, and Angel Head by Emily Young. 
And is it free for people to go and see this exhibition? Absolutely. Well, the outside pieces are indeed free. Uh, When people come into the cathedral, we ask for a donation. But for people who live in and around Salisbury, um, it is free for them to come and go as they please. It is, to me, an absolute tragedy uh, that cathedrals are so badly funded. I mean, we give millions to our museums. Not enough, but we do give them millions. But we give nothing to our cathedrals. And I think this exhibition, and indeed, in terms of you talking about the permanent installations, not only are our cathedrals obviously extraordinarily heritage buildings in and of themselves, but they're also living buildings Absolutely. that the community uses, and they're living uh, arts um centres, if you like. As I said to some people today, um, you know, they can come in to the cathedral next week and they can come into this beautiful architectural space. Um, uh, it's a sacred space and they can leave their trials and tribulations of the last couple of months behind them and enjoy this beautiful space of uh, and reflect on great art within that space. Um, so it's a connection with the sacred and the connection with the art, which is which is a very special connection. Oh, well, it brilliant. sounds fantastic. I can't wait to come and see it. I can't I mean, wait to welcome you. Jackie, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for letting <laughs> us know. Thank Not you at all. Thank you much, Jackie. Thank you. Well, hopefully we will see you there. So that's what's happening in the art world. But in the world of theatre, it's still looking a bit bleak. Now, in recent years, restaurants and hotels have been an alternative venue for cabaret from the Savoy to Le Crazy Cock at Zadell's Brasserie and Pizza Express. So might cabaret manage to be up and running before theatre proper? To tell us, we're here with a much-loved cabaret duo, a pair already well-known to readers of Country and Townhouse, Kit and McConnell. Now, Kit Hesketh Harvey is a multi-talented wit, lyricist, screenwriter and crime novelist and a sadly overlooked panellist on Just a Minute, while his partner is the extraordinarily brilliant composer, writer, musician and pianist James McConnell. Between them, they've entertained eight prime ministers, royalty and even some Egyptian arms dealers who understood not a word. Kit and McConnell, hello. Hello. hello Actually, the Egyptian arms dealers did love it, even though they didn't understand a word of it. But... <laughs> We've got identical voices. So the one who just spoke is McConnell, or the McConnell, the McConnell since, yes. become, since the passing of his dear late dad. Yeah, He's the McConnell of that ilk. James has driven across difficult country, past the posh people of Norfolk, where he lives, to this rather sort of wild part of Norfolk, Thetford Forest, where nice. I live, which is Swaffen. the dogging, dogging capital of the United Kingdom. Yes, and where... Where inbreeding is, in breeding is a career choice, Thank as you. I know. Yeah, yes. yeah, no, we have a strong sense of family, that's all. I know. Well, I, I was, I was going to ask if um, you were close to the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, but now you've mentioned dogging, I can't. Well, they're in between <laughs> us, as it were. Not, not literally, but if James goes to my house or I go to his, we pass and wave and ma. We do. And we see, oh, we see them in Waitrose, don't we? We see them in Waitrose yeah. and we also see them in the no. local antique shop too. Yes. Antique really? shop, yes, 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 yes. with detectives. Yes. Like Angela yes. Merkel, she goes to supermarkets as well. It's interesting. Does she go to Waitrose? She? I think she, go she, goes, she goes to Aldi, doesn't Aldi she? And she goes to Aldi and Needle. Yeah, we like Needle. This is becoming a bit disjointed, this conversation. We've got to turn it into a proper podcast. We want you to tell us when we can see you again and are you coming back to Pizza Express or Le Decop? What is going on? The the recent on-dit, which is French for grapevine, uh, and it's it's not le crazy cock, Charlotte, it's crazy cocks, plural. Um, more than one cock. Brasserie Zadel, actually. Live at Brasserie Zadel. Bang on Piccadilly. 
is that they can't open in July and August because of government deadlines, but they are still hoping to uh, open up in September at half capacity, uh, which because normally it seats about 100. So they think they can seat 50 without anyone not having a cow in between each of them or whatever it is supposed to be. And um, so theoretically, we're back in our residency at Crazy Cox, Laurel, Piccadilly, Glebrasserie um in September. That's the theory. And what about uh, Pizza Express? Pheasantry, yeah. Well, hopefully there too, but I mean, uh, it depends. But no, no, our our next residency is at Crazy Cox. Not unfortunately, the Edinburgh Festival, the first Edinburgh Festival I shall have missed for 40 years consecutively. Can you imagine? It's it's like Calais has been torn out of my eyelids or whatever it is, heart. (laughs) So have you got lots of um, new material that you've come up with in lockdown for your next shows are, are they going to be very different well the thing is and you've so kindly so kind of you've agreed to sing a, a little song a thank you so much YouTube there's, a, there's a whole sequence there's a song cycle <laughs> of our covid songs acapella uh, acapella McConnell on youtube <laughs> um which i've entitled la peste yes. like winterizer we now have la peste, la peste after the albert plague. camus uh, yeah the plague um, and there is a sequence there, which um, oh yes, uh, well yeah, there's still just I about think that's relevant, perfect for this podcast, um, <laughs> including um, our song to Mr. Pangolin and how grateful we are to him for eating that bat, because we've got <laughs> rid of Richard Branson and we've got rid of gastro pubs and we, you know all the nasty things of life have gone with COVID, uh-huh. and we're just left with the essentials. Which the gas nice. mask doesn't look terribly current, I have to say, but apart from that, mask. it works a treat. Yeah, I wasn't wearing that for COVID. I wear a gas mask all the time. Yeah, you're all right. Okay, sorry. My sexual problem. pleasure. But you are doing a virtual cabaret, aren't you, on we Sunday? Are. Yeah, now, we, tell I us mean, a bit we, about we, that. The, the whole point of cabaret, of course, is that the fourth wall is gone and you're interacting with the audience and the audience is present and drunk and you're probably trying to sit on its lap. Uh, so you always do it. Well, that's, that's normally what happens in cabaret. The idea of doing it um, in, in cyberspace is a, really a bit weird. It's very weird. It's produced an almost a new hybrid of something, which is almost a new art form in itself, which is rather yeah. strange. Like COVID, you know, yeah. an, an, an unidentifiable art form that we don't know how to um, defeat or handle. But, but no, we are. It's on the 12th and it's in the How To Academy. How To Academy at 6.30. At 6.30. And we do 40 minutes and then there's a 20 minute answer question and answer session over Zoom. Which Zoom this Zoom. podcast could do with, and um, uh, and it'll be fun, I hope. It, and, and it certainly will include um, much of our latest material, including a fantastically poignant song um, written about you know the the old people who died really yeah. in the COVID thing. And that doesn't sound very cheerful, but most of it will be happy, happy. Well, I think that's your cue to give us a song. Do the Chernobyl one. That's very good. Oh yeah, Chernobyl. Why don't you play Chernobyl? Um, uh, what is the Chernobyl? How does it start? So well, so you, could, you could download it, um, we can send it to you. you it's could, it's you all about being it. in isolation and about taking one, one single walk a day. So I'll take my walk far, far, far away um, uh, to a place where the viruses never stray. Chernobyl, Chernobyl, I come, I'll while away hours neath your twisted towers, duet with your comforting hum. No need to wash hands at the quaint village trough. No need to wash hands since they've both tumbled off. Pandemics aren't actually global in Chernobyl. I hear the balalaikas calling in the German. I hear the balalaikas. Chernobyl, I hear. No quarantine breakers as your twisted acres of calcified birch trees, my dear. 
What comes? Uh, something about uh, your I shan't head. be alone as I lie there in bed. I'll giggle and chat with my new second head. Secure as fatality snowball in Chernobyl, where even the germs are immobile. In Chernobyl. Oh my God, my voice. Eight stomach <laughs> <clears throat> did a few warm ups. Yeah. Do you know, Ed and I are fascinated by that because we were only talking about comedy on this podcast the other day and we're saying were people ready to be funny about coronavirus yet but you clearly are (laughs) you have to come at it from the side and and then when it's sad you do a full-on sad song but yeah no we've 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 got our word of thanks to mr pangolin uh we've got what what else have we got what about chernobyl yeah, what, what else COVID. is in La Peste? I can't remember what's in the, uh, oh, La Peste. Uh, there's the um, one, uh, there's the, well, Harry. Oh, this, yes, Wild About Harry. Wild About Harry. Which, which is, is about poor Meghan's great plan to uh, become president, to be completely scuppered and, you know, abscond poor Harry uh, because of COVID. And that, that's, that's torpedoed her evil master plan. Um, what, uh, what else? We um, had the Amazon, but that's... We, oh, we yes, and the man from away. Amazon. Yeah, we're that away, we are we? going to give that away because that is in on... On Sunday, the man from Amazon. Yes. Uh, oh, we're definitely yeah. going to be listening on Sunday. Oh, but Kate, I, another thing that, that we're quite interested to talk to you about yes. is what on earth is happening with pantomime? Because I know you, every single Christmas, are to be found at the Yvonne Arno <laughs> Theatre. What is going on? I'm always the villain. This would have been my 10th year. I've been cast as the Sheriff of Nottingham in Robin Hood. I, I've got dressing room one in my contract. And I've also got full leathers top to toe and a big cod piece in my contract. <laughs> um, I was very much looking forward to it. Um, well, oddly enough, I was talking to the Baroness Rawlings, who's raising this in the House of Lords next week, uh, because she asked the same question. Because, you know, without Panto, all our regional theatres will just collapse financially. It's the only thing that keeps them going. Um, and uh, it's, it's vital for all sorts of reasons. It's community theatre, genuine community theatre. It's a child's first experience of theatre. It tells them that this isn't um, Netflix or Xbox or all that stuff. And, um, and, and it's, it's pan-generational. It's the time when you know, families of all ages get together and a lot of people who don't go to the theatre ordinarily. It's, it's, it's tremendously crucial. So far, Guildford's st- still hanging on in there. The Arts Council grudgingly gave them a little check to keep the sort of carpenters in gruel. Uh, during the summer, but um, but I haven't yet heard that it's been cancelled. I do hope not, because um, uh, quite apart from anything else, uh, you know, hopefully by December when we're open, um, somebody will have invented some kind of virus. Not virus. What do we want? Vaccine. Vaccine. That's <laughs> um, and uh, and and we can proceed. But um, but you know, fingernails because. While the arts is being absolutely slaughtered left, right and centre and, you know, bodies are gasping on the battleground, um, if Panto goes, that is the big prop for any theatre that isn't in the West End and probably even the Palladium, because the Palladium relies on its Panto too. Um, it's, it's just unthinkable. Fingers crossed, eh? Have you got yes. your fingers crossed? Oh, yes, you have. Oh, yes, we most definitely have. <laughs> mm, Oh, it's so great to talk to you. And so we're not going to be able to see you live until September. Um, no, unless you come but, to Newark and just look at me at the bottom of the gardens. So Kit and James, our listeners will love to be tuning in on Sunday night, I'm sure. And very good luck with whatever you're going to be doing in September. And let's hope that Brasserie Zedel and... 
Pizza Express have you back as quickly as possible. Thank you so much for coming on. We love talking to you. You've really cheered us up. Just before we go, we want to turn to the subject of offices. Now, you might think offices don't have a place in a cultural podcast, but just think how ingrained they are in our life. Of course, lots of people haven't been near their office during lockdown, including me, and are only starting to return to them now. And many people, including me, have no intention of ever returning to an office again. The press has been full of articles about the death of the office. So we thought it would be fun to have a look at their future. And we wanted to do this by looking at office design and how radically it's changing. Who better to talk about this than Martin Waller, who is the man behind Andrew Martin, the landmark design emporium that has stood on the corner of Walton Street and Brompton Cross since 1987. When Andrew Martin opened, it caused a sensation for its colourful ethnic textiles and earned Martin his reputation as the flamboyant Indiana Jones of the design world. He's still massively popular as a designer today, and now he's turning his attention to offices. And he's with us today. Martin, hello. Hello there. Hello, Martin. <clears throat> Hi, Ed. It's wonderful to speak to you. Now, um, Charlotte, as you know, spends her entire time in posh <laughs> Chelsea houses or massive country estates. So <laughs> she she proudly told me as we prepared for this interview that uh, she sits on your furniture all the time. Uh, I do. I live in a, of the very, very best quality. <laughs> I live in a small house in Shepherd's Bush and occasionally make it to my local Indian takeaway. So I don't get a lot of Andrew Martin action. But I think on on occasions when I've accompanied Charlotte to one of her posh houses, I may have sat on one of your sofas. But what we really want to talk to you about is office uh, design, uh, because as uh, we both have already said, uh, we're not really office uh, people, but we're wondering what is going to happen to the office after the pandemic. What are you seeing? How are they changing? What do you think you'll be asked to do? I, I do think it is going to be a great challenge um, to get people out of their pajamas. People have enjoyed the, lock, <laughs> the, the lockdown far too much. And um, faced with the choice between having a coffee and a smoothie and a croissant in the comfort of their home or battling on the underground to come to work, uh, they have chosen the coffee and the smoothie and the croissant um, in their pajamas. And it does mean that offices are, are going to have to work much, much harder to uh, persuade people to come come back. Martin, you told me that you had put uh, an Apollo 11, a, a complete sort of recreation of it, into an office in King's Cross as a chill-out area. Can you? I mean, that's just going a step too far, isn't it? I mean, tell us about that. That's extraordinary. Well, I... I I do think office design has has three um, main functions, really. It's uh, and the first of it is to represent the brand. I mean, in the case of the Apollo Eleven, you, we, we were talking about uh, teamwork and and uh, excellence and and um, uh, achieving a, a sort of mission impossible for the staff. They want to work somewhere uh, that's very cool and that they're, they're proud to work and excited to work. 
Also, I think it helps recruit new people. They, you, you know, it, it, it says something about a company if you have um, Apollo 11 sitting in your canteen. Which bit of Apollo 11 was it? Because it's quite <laughs> it, a big it, rocket. It, yeah, sadly, I couldn't fit in the whole of uh, the Saturn rocket. I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed there. So it's just the command module. <laughs> but can I just ask, because I know Charlotte's trying to come in and I'm trying to stop her, but um, is there... Is there an age thing? Because I'm obviously very youthfully minded, but I am in my 50s and I can't bear these new offices of all these tech companies. You know, you go and you see the ping pong table and the table football and the pods and the bean bags. And I think it's creepy. I think it's the corporation trying to take over your life. Ed, you're sounding like James Nesbitt in Cold Feet now. But even the football table and the ping pong table are a bit passe now. I mean, there are whole rooms uh, given over to uh, computer games, you know, like a seaside arcade kind of thing. Google, of course, is is the company that's made it uh, very difficult for everybody else by by building these astonishing offices um, where, you know, on on a huge kind of scale with fabulous food and... Uh, coffee shops. I mean, you know, I I feel a bit extravagant if if uh, I give our team, you know, a, a working kettle in in the corner. <laughs> uh, but, but now, I mean, there, there, there's a vast menu of of things that these uh, companies provide. I mean, part of it is, as as you say, this thing of you don't you want to persuade people to come to work and then when they've got there you don't want to let them out of the building again i think it's very interesting this whole thing about play last year i interviewed a play expert who said that nowadays she's consulted by all kinds of businesses you know to go and make work more playfully you being asked now to design play areas and offices well i'm ashamed to say that our uh, design ethos has always been a bit playful <laughs> you know, I, I, I am the designer who never grew up and, you know, is um, inclined to put toys um, everywhere. Uh, and I do think, I think one of the kind of misconceptions of work is that all your friends are people outside work. But actually, you know, the, the, your work colleagues, your, your uh, suppliers, your clients, they become part of the rhythm of your life and and friends, and to give people the opportunity to uh, interact with these people who you spend much more time with than your old friend who you only see every other year is is kind of an important thing, I think. I'm all for the office that's designed to be like your home. I just don't want a ping pong table or a beanbag in my home. (laughs) Uh, it sounds like uh, your 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 antipathy to beanbags sound like you, you know you were you were, you you had a bad experience tra- in the nineteen seventies. I was, was traumatised by a beanbag. <laughs> yeah, but actually that's a nice segue uh, into because obviously you do interior design in the home. Presumably, a lot of your domestic clients, if I can put it that way, are suddenly saying to you, "I mean, I've just had a stand-up row with my wife as I prepared for the podcast as she came in and." took away the printer with a huge sort of fanfare. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, presumably you're getting a lot of your domestic clients, if I can put it that way, saying, please, can you design for me a, a home office that has, you know, because I'm now, you know, my home is now my work. 
Well, I did get into terrible trouble the other day on Radio 4 for saying <laughs> that, that people should abolish their kitchens, you know, and, and just rely on Uber Eats. Oh, uh, now, and, <laughs> we've yeah. found common ground, Martin. Yeah. I so agree. When the inevitable divorce comes because of Printergate, <laughs> yeah. uh, when I buy a flat, I'm literally, there's going to be no kitchen. Yeah. I mean, Zaha Hadid at her home, she, uh, no kitchen. Uh, David Hicks, you know, at the Albany, never, never had a kitchen. Um, so the, there are precedents. And, and, and the, the kitchen takes up an enormous amount of space and, and indeed an enormous amount of money to put, put it in. Um, but as people work from home, they're going to look at that space and they're going to think, oh, look at all that, that, that space that that island takes up. Um, maybe I, I can. I'm having this fancy that my wife goes out and I get the kitchen removed. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Well, that's yeah. quite a note to end on, I think. <laughs> death, death to the beanbag and death yeah. to the kitchen. Thank you very much, Martin. That was really, really interesting. Thank you so much. Bye now. So that's all for this week. And let's hope if any of you are breaking out of lockdown and having to go back to the office, don't despair, as you might find it's playing an amazing revamp by Martin Waller of Andrew Martin. So thank you to all our guests. And thank you to our listeners as well. All information about Kitten McConnell's cabaret, Spirit of Endeavour at Salisbury Cathedral and Anish Kapoor at Houghton will be on our website, countryandtownhouse.co.uk, where you'll also find our other podcast, House Guest, with Carol Annette chatting to Britain's top interior designers. We hope you've enjoyed us in our new incarnation as Breakout Culture. Please leave us a comment or email us. Please listen in again next week and please tell everyone like when you're wandering around Waitrose or anywhere, <laughs> that you listen to this brilliant podcast and they should listen to it too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>